The Free For All Roundtable. Round one. On round one, Deb Hutton is here, former advisor to two Ontario premiers. Jerry Agar, host of the Jerry Agar Show from 9 to noon. Scott Reed is here, not only a political commentator and advisor to a prime minister, but also co-hosting The Rush this week. I hope you're enjoying that, Scott. I've been enjoying listening to The Rush because I'm usually running errands in the afternoon. Uh, listen, we've got to start, obviously, with the fact that the House began sitting at uh, 5 a.m. this morning in order to rush through legislation that has two purposes. One is to impose a contract on 55,000 education workers. The other is to prevent them from going on strike. Also worth noting that they are invoking the notwithstanding clause because both of those things would be judged in all likelihood to be against charter rights. Deb, let me start with you because you worked for two different premiers. Um, How abnormal is it for someone to rise and start speaking to a full house at 5 a.m. in the morning? Well, it's not common, that's for sure. Yeah. But uh, we used to have to sit 24 hours straight on occasion when there was a, uh, a massive debate in the legislature when one side or the other dug in their heels. So not surprising whatsoever. Okay. And now let's get to the politics of it all and to the labor aspects of it all. And I'll, again, I'll come back to you, Deb, and let you set the pace. Um, the education minister minister made his pitch this morning. And then the NDP critic made hers, and uh, his contention is the government has made a fair offer and the union's unreasonable. Hers was that the government hasn't even approached a reasonable offer and that in uh, imposing a settlement, it's violating the bargaining rights of a union. What say you? I say that when you come out of the gate asking for a 33% increase at a minimum on compensation alone, and there's there's other issues, there's the fact that it's compounded, all those sorts of things, you're on a collision course. And they've not moved from that position. And I believe when that is your position, you have lost the moral authority to say that you're about the kids. And so I am fully supportive of this legislation. I hope the government actually finds people if they go out on Friday, that whatever it is 4000 per person and 500000 for the union because my kids have rights too. They deserve to be in the classroom and I have had it with the unions using my kids. Jerry, yeah, I think it's 56% actually. Deb. Yeah, as I said, it's a minimum. It's 11.7, yeah. three years. It's compounded. There's some additional stuff in there. Like, Can you imagine any of the four of us, if we said to Scott and I, our clients, or you, uh, Jerry, and John said to the, the program manager, I want close to 50% over the next four years. You okay with that? No, they would never be okay with that. Sadly, no. (laughs) It looks like we're on a collision course here, though, Jerry, and uh, the union says it is going to walk out on Friday, so... Oh, good. uh, They can pay the fines. I'm I'm with uh, Deb on this. My kids are no longer in the school system. They were not that long ago, but when did the constitutional rights of people who will throw the education system into disarray once again after everything we've been through supersede the rights of kids and parents? That's what I would like to know. I think I'm 100% behind the government here. Okay. Well, I mean, Scott Reed, we don't have to get too deep into constitutional law, but people have a right to bargain and people have a right to strike. And the fact that they're invoking the notwithstanding clause proves that the government knows this is actually against the charter. That's right. It's wrong. It's, it's wrong. So I hear what Deb is saying. I don't agree with her, but it's a valid opinion. And people can say, I don't like where the union's at, or I don't like where the government's at in terms of their offer. Then the party should sit at the table. Uh, they should order in pizza, and they should argue all night long, and they should come to some kind of outcome. And if they can't, then you bring in an arbitrator or a mediator. Maybe it's binding arbitration. You do what you have to do to get through the process. 
But when the government indicated from the outset that it was going to use these negotiations with the the workers, with the custodians and the school, uh, the class uh, classroom teachers assistants in order to demonstrate to the teachers union how they were not going to bend. And, you know, the government was on record yesterday saying, you're damn right, we're going to use the uh, notwithstanding clause and we're going to use it again with the teachers. That is not bargaining good faith. There's no effort whatsoever on the government. And that just encourages all sides to dig in. And when you have to override people's constitutional rights, that's the first clue that you're not working hard enough to get a deal or to pass legislation that's fair. You can't deal with people who won't budge off an unreasonable demand. You can't. Well, Deb, let me ask you this. Having I don't advise two different premiers. Um, I think when Pierre Trudeau brought in the notwithstanding clause, he thought it wouldn't be as easily invoked as it is these days by all govern- governments. Well, that may be true. But the reality is, if we were having this conversation four years ago, I might be a little more sympathetic to where um, Scott is coming from. Because there was a liberal government? No, because my kids hadn't had their entire education disrupted by, in our case, work to rule, followed by the pandemic. This is a very, very... Because my kids deserve an education, Scott. No, come on. What about the union's position suggests? Yeah, no one's disputing that, Deb. But there's a giant gap in your logic, which is that the union's saying, hey, you know what? We want teachers, in this case, custodians and teachers' assistants paid, and we're going to negotiate. We're going to start here, and then we're going to negotiate somewhere in the middle. None of that suggests automatically that children are going to be locked out of school, that they're not going to be able to go to school. The reason we're in this issue on Friday is because of the entrenched particularly of the government, setting the tone, saying the it wasn't going to negotiate. And the union. Yeah. And the union to a degree. But the, the you to guys degree, keep saying that Scott. it's solely oh on goodness. the government. Yes, absolutely to a degree. The government never moved its position. It indicated from the beginning that it was going to bring up the hammer. And now it says it's bringing up the hammer on the teachers union. It is in the first year of four-year mandate. It feels that politically it will pay no price and it's willing to do this. That is negotiating a bad faith. You know what? Adults, go put yourselves in a room and work it out. Do not withdraw services from my children, particularly, as I said, in 2022. And it, do it, not it override just... people's individual constitutional rights. Yeah, screw the kids, constitutional right, rights. Screw the kids. No, Jerry, get a grip. You have to work as a government within the Constitution. And if you go to the cupboard and pull out a hammer that allows you to override people's constitutional rights, that is an indication you've worked too little and tried too little to find an accommodation. Or you say we want uh, an, an incredible, unreasonable, unsustainable raise for everybody, not just the few people who are at the bottom end of the scale, and we will not move off of that, and we will throw your kids out of school despite all the trouble they've had the last number of years, and somehow that you is- think the union is reasonable. That is all your breathless characterization, none of which actually would happen if you were in a genuine negotiation. And if the unions couldn't be brought to heel, if you couldn't get to a reasonable accommodation, then you would make your case publicly. But before you even get there, you just say, you know what, I'm going to strip you of the constitutional right to bargain so that I can impose on you a contract of my choosing. That is the government. That is not the union. That's the government. Okay. I think the government read the room. Well, we'll certainly find out soon enough. Um, My favorite moment so far at the inquiry into the Declaration of the Emergencies Act uh, arrived yesterday when the former chief of police in Ottawa was asked about an account where somebody said he was going to cut somebody's testicles off. So you don't recall it or it didn't happen? 
I don't recall the combination of things that she's talking about here, sir. And you don't recall saying that you'll cut off Dave Springer's nuts and use them as bookends. <laughs> and use them as bookends? No, sir. I don't recall saying that. I don't think I've ever said anything like that. Okay, Jerry, I think my favorite part in the whole thing, aside from how, you know, how it appeals to the inner eight-year-old of anyone, is that what he seems to dispute is the bookends aspect. Yeah, yeah, it does seem like that, doesn't it? Like, he, he's parsing this thing out, um, whether whether or not he said the second part. Um, and in the end, if the rhetoric got heated between all of these people, is that really the issue we're trying to determine? I mean, we're trying to determine whether or not the Emergencies Act was brought in legitimately whether or not the language used by some of the people as they fought about what they should do in the middle of the situation is, I, I think, it's colorful, it's funny to run the thing on the air, but does that get us anywhere? Well, aside from, I mean, let's set aside the idea that they wouldn't make good bookends anyway, but Scott Reed, I think what the inquiry has established in two days of How testimony... How do you know? From, well, <laughs> it would all come down to size. It? Depends <laughs> on what you're reading. <laughs> okay, back to, uh, back to basics here. Um, Scott Reed, I think what we've established in two days of testimony from Peter Slowly is the level of dysfunction, not only within his police force, but from force to force. And I think that does inform the situation because it tells you why the government finally said, fine, you know what, we're just going to impose this law, go and break it up now. I, I, I think so. But you know what, I trust the inquiry. I trust that, you know, they're going to hear from everybody. Everybody's going to get tested in their and their uh, propositions and their 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 record, and then the judge will be able to sort of weigh all of that. So I don't want to rush to an absolute conclusion. I do think the impression I personally, as one observer, have been left with, with just watching a fair chunk of Peter Slowly's testimony, while he's meant. He's intended it as to be a defense of the terrible position that he was put in and the impossibility of the circumstances he was uh, dealt. I, I think, frankly, he is he, he has revealed himself to be what we suspected, which is just not capable of managing the situation. I think it's been a devastating, blistering couple of days of testimony on his part. And even when he thinks he's being his own advocate, he's actually proved the point that he simply wasn't up to the job. Okay, Deb Hutton, your thoughts? Yeah, I agree Not with Scott's last part. Yeah. All I kept thinking was decoupage. You know that where you sort of take something and, and make it? That's all I could think you're, of. You're literally you making me squirm now. That's, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but Scott's right. I mean, this is, but, but, but we kind of knew this before. I mean, the sense that the Ottawa police force was not up to the job, I think was <laughs> the sense we all had. And this is just confirming it. I agree. He's not helping himself. And I don't see how this guy becomes a police, a police officer anymore in his life. Uh, let's move on to legal arguments beginning today. And it's going to be a busy day for reporters who do courtroom because, uh, according to my records, the former deputy mayor of Toronto, who's been reelected as city councillor, is also in front of a judge today. But let's set that aside for a moment. Uh, lawyers will begin arguments today on why Premier Doug Ford and his former attorney general should not have to appear at the Emergencies Act inquiry. Jerry, I imagine the judge, the arguments will be short and the judge will make a decision very, very quickly. Do you have any predictions? I think that uh, Doug Ford, the, the lawyers that I've talked to say that Doug Ford has the legal right to turn this down. Politically, is it a smart idea? Those are two different things, aren't they? I don't know. I, I suspect that he can fight this, he can not show up, and people can get all upset, and by the time the next provincial election comes around, it won't be an issue. And Deb Hutton, it's going to be an interesting legal case because effectively the judge, if he rules in favor of making Doug Ford testify, is ordering a premier around. 
Yeah, I, I hope that they are successful. Again, I separate uh, the, the legal from the political, as Jerry did. Uh, I, my view is win this case and still go testify. That's what I would do if I were Doug. Okay, Scott Reed. You know, back in the 80s, I had a boss who was a member of parliament and he was going to be sued uh, over a dispute and that had nothing to do with politics. And he considered invoking privilege as a way of getting out of it. And I argued with him strenuously then and I was like 20 years old that it was a mistake. I, I, I'll i be fascinated to see what the legal determination is here. I hope they put some boundaries on on the use of of privilege because i think it's it's too sweeping if it can be used this way it's being used to make a political decision and it shouldn't be shouldn't be just a get out of jail free card okay we're going to call it there thank you all very much a very lively discussion this morning scott reed jerry agar and deb hutton catch the round table round one at 7 45 round two at 8 45 weekday mornings on more in the morning news talk 1010 toronto